I wanted those weebles. There was a father weeple, a mother weeble, two kids and pet weebles, and they lived in a treehouse. Every time I went to my cousin's house, I searched out her weeble family. I knew where she kept the tree, but sometimes one of the weebles would get lost, and I would spend hours and hours looking through her toy boxes, looking for the lost weeble. When all the weebles were found, I lined them up and pushed them over and watched them stabilize. The weebles sat in my hand with a satisfactory heft, and I could spin them on my palm. Weebles were magical because they stood back no no matter what I did to them, and I very much wanted to open one up and find out what made them rebalance at the core. Over time, the little ditty, weebles wobble but they don't fall down, became a mantra of sorts. Weebles wobble but they don't fall down. Weebles wobble but they don't fall down. Weebles wobble but they don't fall down. I said it over and over on the playground, before class, and on the bus. I said it whenever I was nervous or some other kid made fun of me. I said it in gym class when I missed the ball. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. 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 I am like a weeble, I wrote when I introduced myself to my class at seminary. You remember those toys, shaped like an egg with a weight to rebalance them? I'm like a weeble. I wobble, but I don't fall down. I've been through some challenging times in my life, but I know that I will keep going because I am like a weeble. However, three years ago, I forgot that I was a weeble. Three weeks after I came to work here, I interviewed with the Ministerial Fellowship Committee of the Unitarian Universalist Association. I was hopeful that I would pass my interview and be cleared to search for my congregation to serve. I did not pass. I was granted a three, which meant that I could come back and interview again, but I had some more work to do. My weeble self had been knocked over hard. I was down flat out on the ground, My good friend, who'd been cleared to go into search, said to me when I dropped her off at the airport, Don't get stuck here. Oh, no, of course not. I won't get stuck. But I got stuck. I was not wobbling. I had fallen down, and I was really not sure I'd be able to ever get back up again. I dragged myself to the gym for the next couple of days, and then I stopped going. I finished watching Star Trek's Deep Space Nine. Then I moved on to Voyager. I watched five seasons of 24. Then I moved on to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. I slept a lot. And I played with my new cat. The other 30 hours per week, I was here. With a big smile on my face, getting to know all of you, greeting visitors, and generally helping this congregation through the second year of an interim period. I was figuring out how to do my job better and discovering random bits and pieces of congregational life that somebody needed to pick up. I picked up and tied up a lot of loose ends. I love church, so I was happy while I was here. But at home, 
I was down, just like this weeble. My home life degenerated into the unhealthiest arrangement I have ever lived in. Due to some cat integration issues, the upshot was that we three housemates agreed to cage off one half of the house. I lived on the other side. But I felt like I was the one who lived in the cage. And all of my theology books were on the other side of the fence in what felt like enemy territory. I didn't want to deal with going over to the other side to get my books, and frankly, I didn't want to read them anyway. Whenever I thought about studying to go back to the MFC, I broke out in a sweat, my heart racing. It was not supposed to be like this, I thought. I was supposed to get through that. I support the fellowshipping process. We need prepared and competent ministers. Why didn't I come through that? What happened? Why did I freeze up and shut down? What is wrong with me? Am I not enough? What did I do to have this happen? Will I ever get through? And even if I do, what if no one wants me? What if I end up being that minister who never gets called? As soon as I started down this train of thought, I was done for. I was already down on the ground. I couldn't possibly fall any further, could I? But this cyclical, self-doubting despair made it harder and harder to think about the future. And then it began to get in my way of work here. It was not that I wasn't doing my job. It was that I began to question what my job was. What is my job? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I doing what I'm paid to do? Concord is the sort of place where we succeed. We are mostly well-educated. We appear to be affluent. We are busy people. We accomplish an immense amount. This congregation hosts some incredibly huge number of events and programs every single year. We do a lot. We expect a lot. We achieve. Letting things slip through the cracks is not something we do. And mistakes rarely go uncorrected. Because Concord is the sort of place where we succeed, I did not want to share what felt like my lack of success. I did not want you to know that one of your staff people who was going into the ministry had not passed the big interview. The congregation was going through an incredible upheaval that is the interim period, and I was working to keep on a happy face. Instead of keeping a happy face, numbing out on Netflix and dipping into despair, I needed to do as Palmer Parker suggested in the reading. I needed to reconnect with my soul. That resilient, savvy, resourceful, and self-sufficient part of ourselves that knows how to survive in hard places. I needed to reconnect with my weight deep inside my weeble body, so that even while wobbling, I would know that I would not fall down. I needed to reconnect to source, 
lean into God. I needed to get a grip. The therapist, Linda Graham, in her book, Bouncing Back, shares how we can become more resilient by rewiring our brains. She explains that as children, we developed methods to handle change, disappointment, or distress. When our hopes are not fulfilled, or things don't work out the way that we had planned, we may respond using these early coping methods later in life. However, sometimes these early coping mechanisms may not lead to healthy grieving and effective next steps. Sometimes these early ways of coping are destructive to others and to ourselves. We need to practice becoming more resilient in order to handle and deal with the challenges of life in healthy, sustaining ways. Graham offers a few suggestions to help us bounce back from the terrible. First is to enter into a sense of calm where we can regain equilibrium and stability. Meditation, deep breathing, repeating a mantra are some ways to enter into a sense of calm, reconnect with the soul, the spirit of life, God. The second is to practice self-compassion, loving kindness, caring, and comfort for ourselves as we wobble through our struggles. With self-compassion, we can allow ourselves to grieve what we have lost. And it is only through grieving what we have lost that we can move forward. Graham says that with a sense of calmness and holding ourselves in gentle compassion, we can then see clearly what is unfolding in our lives. This stability will help us to respond wisely. Each time we come through a challenge, we gain confidence that we can pass through another challenge. We gain confidence and are able to move into effective action the next time we wobble and the next. The third suggestion is to build community and connections within a supportive community, which is striving to be safe, understanding, resourceful, and resilient. As we witness others being resilient, we in turn learn how to be more resilient. We help each other through difficulty. Like the weebles, we stabilize each other. In community, we stabilize far quicker than when we are alone. We need each other to help each other through tough times. We cannot recover from hard times, deep losses, heart-wrenching disappointments without community to share the pain. We can offer a warm meal, a shoulder to lean on, We help each other through the despair and disappointment in order to gain perspective. For it is through seeing what is in front of us and all around us that we are able to make plans, move forward, and continue on the way. During the week that Howard was here to candidate two years ago for the position of senior minister, Each staff person had about 30 minutes to sit with him and talk. As I told him about my role here, a bit about myself and my hopes for the future, 
I was exceedingly concerned that he would discover just how many episodes of Buffy and Angel I was watching each night. I left that conversation puzzled that I had tried to hide my current way of being behind an image of who I thought I should be. With this new perspective on what my life had fallen into, I finished up the final episodes of Buffy and Angel, canceled Netflix, and made an appointment with a therapist. (laughs) I needed to get back on track. I had lost my way, but now I had remembered that the way leads on. I set three goals. Move, pass the interview, find a healthy relationship. It would be wonderful to say that each of these goals was easily fulfilled, but that is not true. Each one was hard, hard work with disappointments and stresses. Did you know that it is impossible to find an apartment in this area with a pet? I gave up my cat. Did you know that it is nearly impossible to find an apartment in Concord or anywhere around here with my salary? In fact, my landlord only rented the apartment to me because I wrote the best biography he'd ever read by a tenant. (laughs) And I was preparing for ministry, and he and his wife had gotten married here in the 1980s. He took a risk on me. And thankfully, my bank covered my rent the two times I bounced the check. Even with these challenges, I fulfilled my goal. I moved. My therapist and I decided that the goal of finding a healthy relationship was going to be a future goal, not something that we were going to work on anytime soon. So we turned our attention to the interview. I put together a plan of action and began a chaplaincy training program in Worcester. And my therapist held up a stop sign each time I fell over in despair and bemoaned my inabilities. She reminded me over and over and over again, you are a weeble. You wobble, but you won't fall down. You're just wobbling. It's okay. It's okay. You're wobbling. She also asked me, How are you going to remind yourself that you are just wobbling? Over the months of working with her, my answer shifted from, No, you don't understand. I've fallen. I'll never get up. I'm here. I just can't do it. To, I guess you're right. To, I'm a weeble. I wobble sometimes. But I won't fall down. My recovery was slow. But through many challenges and wobblings, I built up my resiliency and gained confidence that the next time life tips me over, I will bounce back. When I returned to the MFC last September, I passed and was granted permission to go into search for my own congregation to serve. And the icing on the cake was that I was ordained six weeks ago by the Bedford Congregation, the church that I was raised in. During the laying on of hands while Beth Norton led us in song, I looked out at the people gathered. Many of you were there, members of the Bedford and Waltham congregations, colleagues, friends, family, my entire life, including three X's, 
and my fiancé overlapped and came together in that moment. It was a celebration of what we can achieve when we set our intention and bounce back when we wobble. It is trusting that we are weighted like weebles, resilient at our very core. It is knowing that we are held in love by our community, even when it doesn't feel like it. May it be so. Amen.